So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of journey a little bit through the scriptures because I want you to see um, kind of a, a big picture theme that goes all the way through the scriptures. And then we're going to land on a, on a particular passage, which is going to be the main passage in 1 Corinthians. So if you can uh, just bear with me, we'll do a little bit of journeying. We'll go all the way back to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis on chapter 1. We read this last week, but I'm gonna, we're going to look at it and we're going to see something um, the same and something new in here this week. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26 and 28. So I'll tell you all of the stuff in history that's happened so far. There's been six days. People argue whether they're literal days or not. I happen to believe that they are, but that's not what's impo- important. But there's been six days of creation, and God creates everything that's been created. He creates, right? And then he creates uh, humans. And that's where we get in, uh, in, in Genesis um, 1, 26. That's, that's the where we're beginning. He's already created everything else. Now he's going to create humans. He says, then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, ladies, that's different than like if you're at a club or at the market and some creep comes up. Not talking about that. Talking about more different things. But anyways, so 227, he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So lots of stuff in there. You could, you could really dissect this and have some really great philosophical debates and all of these things. But big picture, last week we noticed that we were created in the image of God. And we kind of followed some thread through the scriptures and we realized that part of what that means is he created us to reflect who he is. Right? In other words, God created us to know him and to make him known. He wants to make himself known through us. And in that, we're kingdom of priests. What we looked at last week. This week, to to bring that a little bit further, but on the same thing, we're a kingdom of priests. Part of what we see in this, and this is something that's amazing, is God creates everything that he creates, and then he creates humans, and then he gives them something to do. He gives them work to do. Before there's even sin in the world, he created jobs. If you wake up on Monday morning, you're like, oh, I got a job, and that's because Adam and Eve ate the apple. No, it was already like that. It just got hard because they did that. Right? So he gave them work to do. This is a big picture thing I want you to kind of wrap your head around. God creates everything that he created. And we would think it would be be perfect then, right? And in a way it was. But he created in such a way that the work was to continue. He created everything that he created and then he created humans and he said, go to work and continue doing what I created. Continue working. Multiply. Be fruitful, right? Get innovative. Um, use everything that I've given you. Use the, all the elements of science. Use all of those things. Develop all of those things. Keep going with this. I want you to do that. I've made, I made you creative for a reason. I've given you the, uh, abilities and talents. Use those to bless this planet, right? 
And so that's a big picture that God created us so that he could work in us and so he could work through us. Let's go to the last chapter or the last uh, book of the Bible in Revelation. Revelation 5. Revelation 5, um, we'll start in verse 9. Now this is Revelation, John, the, the Apostle John is, is on an island all by himself, and he's having these revelations. He's having this revelation. Jesus is showing him some things, right? And, and so we get these big picture, they're imagery things. And he says, he's, he has this captured in, in uh, Revelation 4, he's caught up, he looks through a door, and he can see heaven. He sees something about heaven. He sees these huge seraphim, they're like these wild beasts with lots of wings and a bunch of eyes and crazy, right? It sounds a lot like, like way back in Isaiah. And, he, and, and the whole idea is that these things are flapping their wings. You can imagine like oh, how loud it is. Blah, 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 blah. You can feel the wind. It was scary. He's freaked out. And he sees these things bow down. And they're bowing down to one who's on a throne. And it's Jesus. The idea is you get this picture that even these things that are crazy are bowing down to Jesus. Jesus must be big. This is the picture he gets, and he go, the story goes on. It gets to the point where all these, there's all these elders and all these people, and they're all talking about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. It says in verse 9, chapter 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our god and they shall reign on the earth at the end of uh, uh, revelation is about the end of time and and, and this is more uh, genesis was the beginning of creation time from the beginning to the end what you need to see is that god wants to work in you and he wants to work through you it's saying jesus ransomed us by our blood, to get us back on track, back connected with him. And then he makes us a kingdom of priests, and he wants to use us. He wants us to reign on the earth. He wants us to get back to what he said in Genesis 1, where I'm going to give you dominion over this thing. You need to take care of these things. You need to do the work. You need to continue the work I've started from beginning to end. This is a theme throughout the Bible. Let's go to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4 we see Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. Now, Jesus has come. He's the one who, in two and a half to three and a half years from this point, is going to die on a cross. And then in Revelation, they're going to say he was slain and he, his blood. Right? That, that's, this is before that. It's the beginning of his ministry. In Luke 4, 17, he's in a synagogue, and, it, and Jesus is there, and he's, he's just starting his ministry. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and covering of sight to the blind, to set a, at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying, You want to know my mission statement? I'm here to, to set the captives free. I'm here to give sight to the blind. 
And, and he was reading from where? From Isaiah. That's written 700 years before him. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. This is the very place Jesus, beginning of his ministry, opens up the scrolls. This is where he opens up to. Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Sounds familiar, right? This is the, exactly what Jesus was reading. He, was sent, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And he, that, that glorified, anytime you think of that, thank God, that's how God works to, in you and through you, or that's how he makes himself known to you and then makes himself known through you. That's what we're called to do. And he says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the, reu- the, the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and, and, and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. And, you shall st- and, and they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. In other words, Jesus says, I came to do some work. I came to get things back on track. People are broken. When we first created things, all he did was he said, okay, Adam and Eve, I want you to continue to make it flourish. Take care of it. Then it gets all messed up, right? The world's messed up. Jesus comes into a messed up world, and he's going to start to bring healing and fixing and redeeming to it. And then he's going to redeem us. we're We're the captives that he set free. And what does he set you free for? To get back to work. He works in you. And then he works through you because we, he says, are priests and ministers. Ministers means the servants or the workers because he wants to work in you. Then he wants to work through you. And this is a consistent theme all the way through the scriptures. God wants to work in us. God wants to work through us. In many places, it says we're priests. We're a kingdom of priests, right? We're the workers. How does God work through us? How does God work through us? That's the question. We know he is wants to. How is he going to do this? So we know this. In Acts chapter 17, it says something profound. It says he put you in the place and time that he put you so that you would seek him and find him, though it says he's not far from you. In other words... God uses the place where you live, the circumstances, the times, all of these things. He uses them because he wants you to seek him, although he's not far from you. Go back even further from Psalms. It says, in your womb, in the mother's womb, he's forming and making you. God forms and makes you in the womb. He places you in in a place and time that you would seek him and find him. When you seek him and find him, what are you going to find? You're going to find that he's a redeemer, that he's a savior, 
that you have a disconnect between God and he's here to fix that, to reconcile you to this God. So God comes along, he draws you to himself, he seeks you out, he finds you, he knows where you live, he knows what time, he comes looking for you. And then we respond, we receive him, we receive his mercy, something profound happens, we get saved. And then, Jesus promised to his disciples, he said, when, when I leave, it's going to be good that I leave, why? Because then I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to continue this work in you. So God saves us. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. And then God transforms us. He sanctifies us. Think about it as a process of being shaped. How does God shape us? Well, he put you in a place and time. You had all of the life experiences, good and bad. How many of you guys have ever had a life experience? Every single person in here. Wow, amazing, right? He does that. So that you would seek him and find him. And when he seeks you and finds you, he begins, he puts the Holy Spirit in you. He begins to shape you even more. You already had gifts and talents, right? Abilities. We all have those. He begins to use those. And over time, he begins to shape your character. The Holy Spirit begins to shape your character. In Galatians, it calls it fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Those are just a few of the things that God starts to shape. He shapes your character. And he gives you gifts. Special, unique gifts, talents, abilities to use for ministry. Because you're going to be ministers. You're going to be priests. He gives you gifts. He gives you abilities that are unique to you. They're unique to you. And the Bible calls them spiritual gifts. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you guys turn that, we're going to look at what Paul says. He's talking to a church who's kind of trying to figure this out. How can we be used by God? And they're off track. That's why he's writing the letter. They call it the church gone wild, right? They're using all of these things for the wrong reasons, right? And so he wants to get them back on track. He gives them some teaching about this, and we're going to look at that. See, how many of you guys have ever read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia or watched the movie or read the Cliff Notes, <laughs> Right? Um, C.S. Lewis is a, is a brilliant philosopher and teacher, and what he does is he takes this magical land called Narnia, and he talks about some deep, profound realities about being a Christian, about being one of God's own, and about Jesus, who in the story is Aslan, this amazing lion, right? And in the story, you have four um, kids, you have four kids. They're in England. It's back in the time when World War II, and they get sent out into the country to get away from where all the bombings are. They go to the professor's house. They're being mischievous kids, not too mischievous, just playing hide-and-seek. They go into a wardrobe where there's a bunch of coats, and it transports them into this magical land called Narnia, and where they meet talking beavers. It's a magical land called Narnia. I guess you have talk, talking beavers there, right? And these talking beavers are leading them on, on their journey, and they're explaining to them that God brought you here for a purpose. You thought it was on accident, but it wasn't. That's profound. There's some purpose to this story. God knew he brought you here. You see that? And the beavers are there, and they're leading them on this journey, and they explain to them that you guys are f actually fulfilling prophecy. That there was a prophecy in Narnia that, that two daughters of Eve and two sons of Adam would show up. And when they, when they took reign on Care Paravel, the kingdom, 
then the evil witch will be, will be slain. And Narnia will be brought back to life. It will be redeemed back to the way it was created to be. You see, that? it's just scriptural. And he wants to use them. Along the way, it's been winter for 100 years, but not Christmas. If you remember the story, that's what they keep saying. It's been winter for 100 years, but never Christmas. They're going at Kron, and people keep saying, but Aslan is on the move. You feel the chills? Like, Aslan's on the move. There's hope. Something's happening. You ever feel that when you walk through Lamita? I was feeling that when I was praying yesterday. Aslan's on the move. It's exciting. And they're going to meet with Aslan to find out what he's got going on. And they see Father Christmas. Father Christmas gives them gifts. And he gives them gifts. And he gives, he gives one of them, he gives them a sword and a shield. And he's just a kid. And he's like, what am I going to do with this, right? And to one of the girls, he gives her a bow and arrow. And she's the one that hates war. Bow and arrow, thanks. And he also gives her a ho- magical horn that whenever she blows it, help will surely show up. And then to another one, he gives a small dagger and this ointment that heals. And he says, these aren't toys. These are tools. You're going to need these. And if you watch the, rest of the, the way the story unfolds, they use those in the plan that Aslan has for them to, to create a victory for the kingdom of Narnia. It's a great story. God gives us gifts. That's what he's saying. God gives you gifts. They're to- tools, not toys. And he gives them to you on purpose. You might not understand why he gave them to you, but he gives everyone different tools. And then as we work together, we, 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 we start to figure out how to use these tools. How many of you guys knew you had a spiritual gift? You're saved. You have a spiritual gift. You might not know what it is. You might already be using it and not even know what the name of it was. And that's what Paul is talking about to this church in Corinth. I promise you, for you filling the note, guys, start filling in some blanks. Peace is coming. Aslan's on the move. Spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is talking to church gone wild. They're having church services, and everybody wants to speak, and everyone wants to speak out of turn, and no work is getting done, and they all have these crazy spiritual gifts. People are speaking in tongues which is, sounds weird to some people, and some people are like, I went to a church like that, and I totally get that, right? That's fine. You can be wherever you want, but these guys are doing it out of turn, and everyone's doing it, and no one's being edified, and he has to bring some correction. It's the intent of this letter. So he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We'll stop right there and kind of unpack that because it's kind of hard to understand if you're honest. Matter of fact, if you read commentaries on this, there's not very much agreement on what this means. I'm going to do my best. I might be wrong. I might be right. I'm going to share with you what I think it means. I think it makes the most sense. But, but what we know from all there's some things in here, like I'm saying, that, 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 that we could argue about and go, I don't know what that means, or maybe I'm right, or maybe I'm wrong. But there's some big picture stuff that no one argues about. The simple stuff. I like to keep it simple. Basically, you're gifted. You're saved. You're gifted. 
So I put in your notes, you're gifted, now you know. Okay? Everyone who is saved is gifted. If you're saved, you're gifted. Now, how does he kind of unpack this? This is what I think some of this stuff means when he's saying, you know, no one who says this, Jesus is a curse, and what about people who say Jesus is Lord and they're doing stuff? How does this all work? Everyone who is saved is gifted. That's what I believe he's teaching here. Now, there's a Jewish reference here. When he says, no one, uh, if you say Jesus is accursed, then you're not doing God's work. What does that mean? This word accursed is a Greek word that only would have been used in Jewish circles. And so he's speaking to Jewish people here. He's saying, some of you guys might be tempted to say Jesus is accursed. What he's saying is, there's people amongst this you in this culture who are Jewish, but they're not Christians. They say Jesus is accursed. What are they talking about? That's how they would have talked. If you're Jewish, you believe that in Deuteronomy it says, anybody who was hung on a tree was cursed. Jesus was hung on a tree when he was crucified. They thought they said that was crucifixion. Anyone who's crucified is cursed. That's why they wanted to crucify Jesus and not kill him in an alley. Because they wanted to stop his public ministry. And if they could crucify him, then they knew people would think he was cursed. And he can't be cursed and be God, the Messiah. That's their, their reign of thought. So he's saying, anyone who says Jesus is cursed, not Savior, right, is not going to do God's work, right? Because they're not even, they're not saved. And then he says, what about people who say Jesus is Lord or, or, or the Lord is Jesus? Literally, Yahweh is Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh. What about them? They says, it says, uh, if they, no one who can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This isn't saying that anybody says with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, you have to believe everything that they do is from the Lord. People have abused that throughout history. People have said Jesus is Lord and then done atrocious things. It's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking in general senses. He's saying people who say Jesus are Lord, these are Greek people who have renounced other things as their Lord, who have made Jesus their Lord. Those are people who have these spiritual gifts. Paul's simply saying, if you're saved, you have spiritual gifts. If you're saved is a real Christianese word concept. <laughs> what does that mean, right? The Bible gives a lot of different um, ways of explaining this to a lot of different types of people because that very reason. He doesn't want you to be misinformed. Generally, it means regeneration in other Christianese words. Regeneration. He regenerates us. Some of the other things it talks about. You can be, it talks about being born again. You're spiritually born again, right? It talks about you being grafted in. That's if you're, if you're like, if you, if you like agriculture, right? A tree, if you graft in an avocado, a male and a female avocado together, they connect together and then they can produce fruit, right? Grafting together. He grafts you in, it talks about, right? It talks about you being a new creation. Literally does something so profound in you that you become a new creation, right? It talks about you being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's like sports teams, right? Anybody a sports fanatic, right? You got transferred to a new team. He uses all of these analogies to say there's something real and deep and profound. He uses reconciliation. That's a relational term. If you have ever been in a relationship, right, husband and wife, Think about this, right? You're in a relationship, and then something separates you. You're in the same room, but there is something you're not in the same page. You're, you're, there's separation. 
Reconciliation is coming and removing. That is what's in the way relationally and putting you back together. Jesus does that in our relationship with the Father. He reconnects us relationally. He takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, puts us into the kingdom of light. He takes you who are spiritual dead because you didn't know him and makes you spiritually alive because now you know him. All of these things we use to try to describe this profound thing that I don't think there's any real words could, could fully grasp to be saved. You're saved. When you're saved, you have gifts. And not everyone knows they're gifted. That's why he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Not everyone knows they're gifted. Now, letter C, we also see that we should desire to know our gifts and use our gifts. It's been said like this. When you think about spiritual gifts, there's all kinds of like spiritual gift tests and everyone, people want to know, I want to know what your spiritual gift is. But think about this. Don't just desire to know what your spiritual gift is. Desire to be a gift. Desire to be the gift. Desire to use what God has you to be a gift to others, to serve others. That's what he's called you to do, to be a kingdom of priests and ministers, to do the work. And so he equips us uniquely as individuals to work together in unity as a body to do the work that he's called us to do together, right? No one can do it by themselves. We work together. Teamwork makes a dream work. And then he goes on, 1 Corinthians 12, chapter four, I mean, uh, verse 4. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone, right? Because everyone who's saved has a gift. Everyone. You go, well, not me. I don't know what mine is. Well, you have one. You have one. Now you know. Right? For to one is given through the Spirit, uh, uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith. By the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another ver uh, various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, if you're like, um, came from a Calvinist background, you're like, this is about to get weird, right, all up in here. It's not. I, I don't really claim to know what all of that stuff means, right, uh, um, there's a lot of disagreement about it. You know, people just disagree about what prophecy is, what, what all those things. And honestly, it's not the scope of our teaching today. I mean, it's interesting. I have some opinions about it, and, and I'm probably wrong on some of it, and maybe hopefully right on some of it. And, but uh, here's what, I, what most people believe. This is not an exhaustive list. Paul's not coming to them and going, let me give you a short list of things, and you figure out which one of these things you are. He's just giving you a sample of some things that the First Corinthian church are using at the time, but they're misusing. He wants to talk about why they're using them and how to use these things, not so much give a distinct list of them. But he gives you some things to think about, right? So God uniquely, uh, uh, first of all, in your notes, gifts are for the good of others. And God uniquely equips us as individuals to work together in unity as a body. Now, we don't really understand this um, in our culture, and I, and I give you an, an example. You think about the military, 
military campaigning or military advertising. Back in the day, you would rally people to become a troop by wanting them to be patriotic and to serve their country, right? Uh, who was it that said, it's not, what you, it's not what your country can do for you, but what your country or what you can do for your country, right? JFK, it's not what your country can do for you, it's what you can do for your country. It's kind of what Paul's saying. What's the new army one? Be all that you can be. In other words, what? It's all about you and what the army can do for you. You can be, we'll help you be all that you can be. Here's, the way, here's where I, you can get off track with spiritual gifts. If you think, I want to know my spiritual gifts so I can be complete. I want to I know my spiritual gifts so I can be all that I can be. No, you should want to know your spiritual gifts so you can do for others. That's what he's saying. It's for the common good, right? It's for the common good. So don't desire to know your spiritual gifts for a selfish pride or a sense of self-discovery or ego. Rather, desire to be used by God in the way only you were created and gifted to be used. God's made you unique. Later on in this chapter, uh, he's going to say, if you have a spiritual gift and you don't use it, everyone suffers. If you're not being who God called you to be, Everyone suffers from that, including yourselves. So some things in your notes to think about are spiritual gifts are tools, not toys to be played with. This is what seems to have happened in Church Gone Wild in Corinth. They, 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 they think they're toys to be played with. They get excited about, you know, using these spiritual gifts because it's like an emotional experience, maybe. No, they're supposed to be useful for the purposes of God, which is to, is to make Jesus known, to make disciples. Spiritual gifts make you useful, not important. Spiritual gifts, they make you useful. They don't make you important. If you, if you look at somebody and say, I wish I had their spiritual gift, don't worry about that. Just be glad they have it, and hopefully they're using it. Help them use it. Because then everyone, and you use yours. You have the perfect gift for you. Because God gave it to you. The best gift is the one that's needed. What's the best gift? The one that's needed at the time, right? So, so the idea here is that Paul lists a few examples, but here's my advice. Don't start with trying to figure out which one of the 19 uh, gifts that are listed in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. That's where there you, get a, you can come up with a list of, of 19, give or take one or two, depending on you know, what denomination you're from. And, or, or, or 30, right, or, or zero, depending on what denomination you're from, but there's about 19, and he's not saying these are all that they are. He's saying here's a, here's a sample of some things God's doing in people right now that we're seeing. But let's remember why he gives them to us. The desire to use the gifts and abilities you currently have to initiate, to support, or enhance what you already see God doing. Let me give you a list that I would give just a, of some things that I see people doing. Are you a creative and artistic? Do you make things more beautiful? And, and, and Are you creative and you make things more beautiful? You might have the gift of creativity. And it might be a spiritual gift. Are you organized? Do you love P-touch labelers and sticky notes? 
right? You might have the gift of administration. Are you good at managing people or projects? You care about having all the details ready and giving people everything they need to be successful. You might be a, a, a manager, a project manager, a people manager, right? Are you compassionate towards people? Your heart's broken for the homeless. Or, or your heart, bro- when you drive by a convalescent home, you think, I oh, should get in there and do something. You want to go to the VA hospital and help people, right? You care about foster kids. You might have the gift of mercy. Are you good at fixing and building stuff, right? Do you like to use that gift to bless, uh, bless others? You might have the gift of help. Are you an includer? Do you love to include people and make them feel welcome? You might have a gift of hospitality, right? Are you attractional? Things that you do, people seem to join you and want to do it with you, right? You might be an evangelist. Do you care about people, how they're doing, and you just you, you earn to want them to grow? You might be pastoral. Do you love to share what you've learned and you can hold people's attention for more than 10 minutes? You might have a teaching gift. Are you good with money? Spreadsheets are your love language. You might have a gift of business administration. Kind of get an idea. I'm not giving you an exhaustive list. I'm saying, like, let's make it more practical. God's made you who he's made you. He wants to use you. Is what we're saying. And all of those things, you can't be all of those things. All those things are in this room, and we need to get them flared up and start using them to do all that God has us to do. Whatever he's given you to do, do it. Now, you don't need to know the correct terms and labels to start using it. As a matter of fact, you need to, he'll start using it. It doesn't work like this. You don't take a test, and you go, oh, I have the gift of mercy. I should figure out how to be more merciful. If you have the gift of mercy, it's already happening. It's in your heart. He, he gave you that. He didn't give you the label, and then you figure out how to be that. He made you that. Figure out how to be that. So just start doing stuff and, and, and watch how God uses you. Do you know what I mean? Come to service Saturday, and when you're walking around, some people are going to be like, they're going to notice the homeless person. Other people are going to be like, man, Kenny's so disorganized. This thing stinks, right? And then another person going to be like, how are we funding this thing, right? And what is this doing with our budget? And another person is going to be like doing something else, and you're going, oh, yeah, it's because you have a gift. And if you would use it, then this thing would be rad. But now it's, it's only as rad as the people who are actually participating. Does that make sense? <sighs> 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Think about this. God gives them according to his plan, just like he gave them to the four in Aslan's story, in the, in the, in the Narnia story. He gave them because he had a plan for them. They didn't understand why he had these gifts, but along the way they figured out why. God gives them to you according to his plan or his will, it says. Think about this. You have gifts. Are you using it? How do you know if it's a gift and you're using it for God? Does it help you point people to Jesus? Does it help you point people to Jesus? Does it help you to meet people's truest needs? Does it help you build the kingdom of God? Well, then don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just start doing those things. And God will begin to use you. And along the way, you might just figure out what the labels are. Awesome. 
You might be good. You might, you might have the gift of helping other people figure out what their labels are. Great. Share it with them. Encourage them. Give people affirmation. Tell them they're doing a good job. Tell them what you love about them. Tell them how you see God using them. Right? We'll have the worship team come back up. To kind of summarize what this looks like, I just want to share a brief kind of my story. So at 19 years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I got saved. And it was at Hope Chapel in Hermosa Beach. I was stealing from my boss to pay for my rent. was just a train wreck of a life. 19 years old, trying to do it my own way. And I was lost, dark. I was in darkness. I knew it. I was in the kingdom of darkness, and I felt, it felt dark. And I was over it. I woke up because God was drawing me. I didn't know that. I just woke up and go, I think I'll go to church today. That wasn't my idea. Well, I know that now. I walk up to church. I walk in. I start feeling super uncomfortable, fidgety. I'm the, I'm, everyone's looking at me. They're not, but that's how I felt. And the guy gets up, and he goes, before we start church today, I'm going to do an altar call. Like, I've been at church my whole life with my parents. I know that's weird, right, before church starts. But I was about to bail, so it was perfect. I'm like, God, you're doing something here. He goes, stand up if you want to give your life to the Lord. I wanted to so bad. I was so weak, I couldn't. I was just, I, I just didn't have it in me to stand up. I'm not doing it. Someone else stood up. He goes, nope, there's someone else. I go, this is weird. I'm having this total conversation with myself, and it ends with, you're not doing it. And I'm like, Phew. He's like, nope, there's someone else. It happens again. I'm like, yes. I was ba- played baseball all my likes. So I get it. Three strikes, you were out. Right? When worship starts, I'm out of here. Right? He goes, now nah, there's someone else. I, to this day, don't know if the Holy Spirit picked my hand up, if, um, if I had a twitch. I don't know, but my hand went up. And I know in my heart I wanted to, and I know in my head I was telling myself I wasn't going to. But my hand went up. I walked forward. I gave my life to the Lord. A guy met me. He, he, he walked with me for my journey. Um, I already had some uh, t- talents and abilities. I had a gift of leadership. I played sports my whole life. People, I led. That's, just, that's, just, I, that's a story. I hated public speaking. That was my worst nightmare. That was my biggest gift and my worst nightmare. People started coming up to me because that was kind of the culture of the church. They pray over you and tell you what your gift is, right? Doesn't always work. I remember hearing a story about one person came up to one girl and said, you have the gift of being single, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever do that, right? Doesn't always work 100% of the time, but this is my story. My story is people started going, hey, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. All I thought about was someone who speaks. I hate public speaking. I wanted to punch him in the face, to be honest with you. But I didn't, right? But I knew there was something real. Over the time, I just started getting involved with ministry. I got involved with children's ministry. Then I started doing youth ministry. And I started actually using pastoral-type gifts. And people were like, see, I told you, you're a pastor. And then I started being a pastor. It led me all the way to this point. He started shaping my character with fruits and gifts to make me ready. Because you have to have some character, right, to be qualified to be a pastor. started helping me have opportunities and using my gifts. They're like muscles. You have to learn how to use them. It gives you these muscles, but you got to use them to, to, get, to grow in them. And all of these things happen. That's my story. What's your story? Do you need to get saved? Did you come here like I came to church that day to get right with God? Today's the day to get right with God.
And I'm going to give you that opportunity in a moment. Because I feel weird about that. And I got no, spirit, uh, no altar call game. But someone served me that way. I'm going to serve you if you want to. I also started just going to do children's ministry. Start, get involved. We offer these opportunities and next steps because that's how you grow. Don't do it. Don't do it just, just because you think we need help. We do. But do it because it's the next step in how God wants to work in you and work through you. Now, if there's anybody here who came here today to get right with God, I want to pray with you. So I'm going to ask the same thing that they asked of me. Massey, you just raise your hand so I could pray with you. If you came here to get right with God, you want to get saved, you want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, however you want to put it, you want to get right with God, through the, and you believe that the way to do that is through this Jesus Christ who died on the cross to wipe away all your sins, pardon you, remove that which is in the way, and reconcile to you to God, I just want you to raise your hand. I'll pray with you. And there might be no one, but if you're here, don't leave. Amen. Amen. The person who's going, is there anyone else? It's a beautiful thing to give your life to Jesus. So I'm going to pray with you and if, if anyone else is in here, it's not a one-time a, a, a one opportunity. You can come up to me anytime. You can go right to God anytime. That's what it means to be a kingdom of priests, right? But I want to pray with you.